You're listening to the New Song Students Podcast. I'm Jackson, and I'm the student pastor at New Song Church, located in Oklahoma City. We hope this message builds your faith and helps you to know God better in a greater way today. Enjoy the message. Well, New Song Students, I got a word for you, and uh, there's a lot of notes. So can we hang in tonight? Get your journal out. Get your Bible, your phone, whatever you need to lean into the message tonight. When I sent my notes to Case and I was like, I'm low-key sorry because I'm giving you a ton of work. But it's good stuff. I cannot wait to get into it. Um, And I'm hoping that you came expectant to leave this room tonight with a word from God. Come on, if that's you, somebody say, I'm here for it. Good. Sounds like we got a lot of people here for it. All right, so if you haven't been here in the past few weeks or maybe you're just now joining us for the first time tonight, we are currently in a series called Colossians. Now, any brave soul in the room want to take a guess at what we're talking about in this series? Colossians, that's right, man. You guys are so smart. Man, y'all are smart. That's right. It's in the name. We are currently, we are currently in the middle of our very first ever book series. So we're just completely devoting this entire month to looking at the book of Colossians. It's a letter. It's not actually a book. It's actually a letter that our homeboy Paul, super apostle Paul, he wrote it to a church in Colossae. And uh, which, by the way, before we get into the word, confession time. Somebody say, "Uh (laughs) uh-oh. Confession time. I've got a confession to make to you, New Song students. I don't know what what got to me. But two weeks ago, remember we had an online service? Now, I don't know if it was like I was cooped up in my office too long or like I was really excited about the snow and I just said stuff and I wasn't even thinking about it. But... I made, a conf- I made a challenge to all of you, which was this. I challenged all of us, watching, listening, even myself included, to read the entire book of Colossians every day for this series, which, confession, I have not done. <laughs> I'm just going to be honest as your youth pastor. I gave you a challenge, and I didn't even do it. So I'm sorry. If you have been reading the book of Colossians every day, I need you to find me after service and I'm gonna buy you something because you're a straight up, you are a straight up spiritual gangster. Are you for real? You've been reading it every day. Okay, that's what I thought. That's what I thought, that's what I thought. See, I got a little excited. I gave y'all a really hard challenge. And so I, as your pastor, would like to officially veto that last challenge. And we're gonna, we're gonna ratify a new challenge, okay? <laughs> We're vetoing that old one. We're, gonna, we're just going to start fresh, even though we're almost done with this series. It's actually not a new challenge. I, I said it in the video, but I want to challenge us. I want to continue to put in front of you, because I know we're all already trying to be in our Being Transformed journals every day, which, by the way, how awesome are the Being Transformed journals? Such an incredible tool. I hope you're using it every day, because um, it's really blessing me. But here's my challenge for the rest of this week, and then the rest of the series is this. Just memorize the key verse of the book. You ready for the key verse if you want to write it down? It's this, Colossians 2, 9 through 10. This verse is so legit. Let me read it to you. If you can memorize this, you'll be good. Look at this. For in him, talking about Jesus, is the fullness of deity, or or in him all of the fullness of deity dwells in him in bodily form. What does that mean? It means everything that God is, 
which God is, remember all the omnis we talked about a couple weeks ago? He's omnipresent, omnipotent. He's everything, right? God created everything. He's eternal. All of that stuff about God, think about this, is in Jesus. All of that's in Jesus, but here, it gets better. Check this out. And in him, you have been made complete. So the Bible's like, all that good stuff that God is, which is everything, is in Jesus, and you are in Jesus. I'm telling you, you memorize that verse, and you think about that verse every day, look to your neighbor, say, you will be all right. You will be all right. So I want to challenge you guys, memorize that verse. It's an easy one to memorize. You can do that. You guys are super smart. My new song students are smart. I know you all can do that. If you've missed any of this series so far, we've covered a ton of ground in just two weeks. And I just want to quickly recap for those of you who've missed it. In week one, we really didn't go too deep. We really looked at the context of the book of Colossians. So that means instead of just jumping straight into like Colossians 1 verse 1 and just saying, okay, what does this mean? Instead of doing that, we asked some questions about the text. Questions like, well, who wrote Colossians? We asked questions like, who's this dude Epaphras? And was that a popular name when he was born? Like, I'm just kidding. We didn't ask that question. Uh, We asked questions like, why was this book written? And when we asked those questions, we discovered that this letter was written by, like we said, the baddest dude in all of the Bible. His name's Paul. Somebody say Paul. And I mean bad in like the best sense, right? He was a really bad dude in a good way. Paul was this guy who used to hate Jesus and he used to hate Christians and even kill and persecute Christians. And one day he's on his way to go kill Christians and he miraculously and radically meets Jesus. And he goes from being this really terrible dude to being one of the most impactful probably the most impactful Christian who ever walked the face of the earth, right? So this guy is writing a letter to this church in Colossae. Now, what's the context of that church? There's this guy named Epaphras. Somebody say Epaphras. Y'all remember who Epaphras was? He's the pastor of the church. Epastorus. I'm just kidding. That was funny. That was funny. I didn't even put that in my notes. There's this guy named Epaphras, and he's the pastor of this church, and he used to study under Paul. But over time, what do we find out? We find out that this church, they start to feel temptation to lose their focus on the main thing, which is who? Jesus. Yes, they started to lose focus on the main thing, which is Jesus, because these people that came into the church, whether they were these religious people or people from the world, they came in and they started to bring confusion into the church. And so Epaphras is like, bro, homie Paul, I need your help. I don't know how to help this church. And last week, come on, we had the privilege of getting to hear a message from our very own Mama A. Mama A, you better watch out. She's trying to take my job because she preached such a good message, preached the roof off this place. And we looked at a deeper look at those three heresies. Does anybody remember what those three heresies were? I'm just curious. Philosophy, what's another one? Tradition and the supernatural. That's right. Y'all, y'all be paying attention. Oh, I love it. So last week, we took a deeper look into those three things that were coming into the church. And then finally, 
she led us all into the weekend message that I preached, which was on being rooted in Jesus. Amen? It was so good. It was so good. And so don't forget, by the way, next week, we got another guest speaker coming in. Our boy, Pastor Tondurai. Yes. Oh, man, y'all. I'm so excited for next week. Tondurai's going to be coming in. He is going to literally preach your face off. So make sure you're there. But tonight, we're continuing. It's week three of Colossians. Are y'all ready for this? All right, let's jump into the text tonight. We're actually still in Colossians 1, which is crazy. I know, it's just that good. So check this out, Colossians 1, 24 through 29. It's gonna be up on the screen behind me. Here's what it says. It says this, this is Paul talking. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction for the sake of his body, that is the church. In other words, Paul is saying, I'm going through all of this hard stuff to help you guys because you're part of God's body, the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God, which was given to me for you. In other words, God gave me the authority that I have to make the word of God fully known to you, the mystery hidden for the ages and generations, but now, somebody say, but now, now. revealed to his saints. Y'all hanging in with me? All right, let's keep going. To them, God chose to make Known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery. What's the mystery? It's not a mystery. Paul tells us right here. Which is this? Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's good. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom. And then this next part, this next phrase is bolded, I think. Well, it's bolded in my notes. I want you to underline this. I want you to write this down. Look at this. That we may present everyone. Somebody say everyone. Everyone. Mature in Christ. That we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works in me. Okay, what did I just read? Well, the last two weeks, check this out. Last two weeks, we've really been reminded from Paul of what the focus is of everything. The focus of everything. It's exactly what Paul just said right here. He's like, y'all, don't worry about anything else because the focus is Jesus. Just like Annie said last week, Jesus, period. Jesus is everything. Jesus is your focus. Now, that's all good and dandy, right? Like, yeah, Jesus is the center. Jesus is the focus. But have you ever been told to do something before? Maybe uh, it was your mom. She told you, hey, go clean your room, right? Ever been told that before? Ever been told by a teacher, hey, you need to work on, like, you need to work on your algebra. It's looking a little sloppy. Or maybe a coach, maybe a a coach told you, hey, you're doing great, but you need to focus on your running. Have you ever been told to do something by somebody before and then had this thought? Yeah, 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 I get that, but, like, what's the point? Have you ever had that thought before? Like, yeah, I get that. That's all good. Like, I get that I need to clean my room, or I get that I should work on my running. But at the end of the day, what's the point? You ever had that thought before? Okay, here's what Paul is telling us. Paul is telling us, hey, hey, the focus is Jesus, but here's the point. The point is this, that we may present everyone mature in Christ. So Paul is saying, hey, Jesus is everything. Jesus is the focus. Here's why. So you would become mature. 
So tonight, what I want to talk to us about is being mature in Christ. In fact, if you're taking notes, write this down. The title of the message is this, the point is maturity. Somebody say, the point is maturity. All right, before we get into the rest of this word, let's pray. Let's get our minds right. Let's invite God into this word. Father, I thank you so much for every single student here tonight. God, we are so unbelievably thankful that when we call on your name, you are a God that shows up. That when we call on your name, just like we sang in that song, you're the same God. If you did it for them in the Bible, you'll do it for us tonight. And so we call on that same God and we pray, Holy Spirit, would you speak to our hearts? And I pray that just like Paul prayed, that we would present everyone in New Song students as mature in Christ. We want to be mature in Christ. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. amen. All right. So Paul tells us, focus on Jesus. Well, what's the point? Why, why, do I, why do I need to focus on Jesus? Here's the point, that you would be mature in Christ. Now, I think for the most part, you could probably find any random person on the street, and you could just come up to them and be like, hey, do you think maturity is important? And do you think like 100% of people would say like a hard yes? Do you agree with me? Like if you just went down the street and asked any random person, hey, do you think maturity is important? Everybody would say yes, right? I think so. I think everybody would say, yeah, I think maturity is important. But let's take this question a little further and say, okay, that's great. I'm glad you think maturity is important. Can you describe maturity for me? <laughs> it's like, you might get a lot of different answers, right? You might even get a lot of, uh, I don't know, actually. I've never thought about that, I guess. You might get a lot of, like, uh, I guess you just know, you know when you know. You know? You know when you know you're mature. You just know. You, what I'm saying is you wouldn't get a very clear answer, right? And here's why, uh, here's why I believe this. I actually looked this up this week. I was like, I'm curious because I think I have a good definition of what maturity is. It's found in the word. Come on, somebody say amen to that. But I was like, I wonder what Google says about the word maturity. Here's the definition of maturity according to Google. You ready for this? It's the state, fact, or period of being mature. It's like dope. Thanks, Google, I really needed that. Don't you hate when you're asking for a definition and the word is in the definition? Like, that makes no sense. Okay, so I was like, Google, you're not helping me. I need to shake things up. So I was like, okay, I'm not gonna look up maturity. I'm just gonna look up the word mature. And it's a little better, but here's the definition I got. Fully developed, physically, full grown. <laughs> so basically, like, I guess I'm mature because I'm an adult. Look at this, here's what it says. Having reached an advanced stage of mental or emotional developmental characteristics of an adult. That's a mouthful. Now, hear me, this definition is a little better. Like it gets a little deeper into what maturity is, but what it's basically saying is maturity equals adult. Now, can I just say as an adult, I know a lot of adults who are not mature. Here's what I'm trying to tell you. Just because you grow up physically doesn't mean you grow up emotionally, spiritually. Are you hearing me? In fact, as an adult, I can tell you I don't necessarily know what it means to be 
what does it say? Advanced, in, in an advanced stage of mental or emotional health. Like, I think I'm there, but I don't know. <laughs> some days I think I'm there, and then some days I don't think I'm there. You know what I'm saying? So, like, what is, it's a very unclear definition of what maturity is. And, you know, I think this is, like, the problem that we face in this world. We, we live in a world that I think everybody would agree, yeah, maturity is an important thing, but we also live in a world that doesn't talk about how to be mature, and it doesn't even know how to define what maturity actually looks like. And you know what that ends up with? A lot of immaturity. And here's the thing about immaturity. Immaturity hurts you, but it also hurts people. And so if you have a lot of immature people running around, you've got a lot of hurt running around. Would you say that we have a lot of hurt in this earth? I'm telling you, I think it's from immaturity. And unfortunately, here's the sucky thing. Immaturity doesn't just happen out there. Like, unfortunately, there's a lot of Christians who walk in immaturity. And as Christians, here's the thing. The word Christian literally means to be Christ-like. Like, so when people see you and me, when they, when they get to know us, when they get to know you, when they become friends with you, they should see Jesus in you, right? But sometimes when people outside of Christianity or outside of the faith get to know Christians, sometimes the same immaturity that's in the world, they actually find in the church. And that's not good. Somebody say, that's not good. And this is, is, this is exactly why Paul says this. He says, it's this reason that I struggle, that I teach. This is the reason why I toil, why I do all these things. So that at the end of the day, I present you as mature in Christ. He's like, that's the reason. And what I want you to see is like, this is the heart of a pastor. Like New Song students, as your pastor, I resonate with this big time with Paul. Like, like everything that we do here at New Song students is for this purpose, that you would be presented one day mature in Christ. So what do I mean by that? Well, I hope that when you come here, like you have a good time. I hope that when you come here, you make good friends. I hope that when you come here one day, you maybe walk away with a sweet giveaway. Come on, somebody say amen. amen. <laughs> like none of those things are bad. None of those things are bad. They're actually really good things. But none of those things are the point of why we do this. The reason why we do everything here, literally everything, is this thing that Paul says right here, that all of us would be presented at the end of the day, mature in Christ. Like, I don't write messages because I like to hear myself talk, <laughs> contrary to popular belief. I don't write messages to hear myself talk. Your leaders, they're not here because they're going to get a free dinner every Wednesday night. I'm telling you, students, everything we do is because we want to see maturity in you. But not just like maturity, we want to see you mature in Christ. Amen? Amen. Every single one of you. So write this down if you're taking notes. Paul is letting us know Jesus is the focus, maturity is the goal. Jesus is the focus, Jesus will always be the focus, but at the end of the day, what do we want to see? We want to see maturity in us. So tonight we're going to talk about what does this look like? What is maturity look like in Christ. But first, uh, before we get to that, I think we've got to look at what immaturity looks like. <laughs> Y'all want to go there tonight? Okay. 
So I found, I found some, uh, I did some research. I found some, these are not necessarily like Christian uh, characteristics of immaturity. This is just characteristics, signs of immature thinking in general, okay? You hear me? So it's not, not, not pertaining to your faith. This is just in general. And I want to see if when I read some of these, some of these line up and some of them are kind of like the other. But I want to see if any of these resonate with you like they did with me, okay? Just being honest, all right? So if you want to write these down, I would say, just a heads up, I'm going to go quick, so maybe don't try to write them down. Maybe, <laughs> maybe just listen to me. <laughs> or if you really want them, take a picture. Here's the first one. First sign of immaturity, emotional reasoning. Okay, what does this mean? Letting your feelings guide your interpretation of reality. So what does that mean? That, that means like, I feel depressed today, so I am clinically depressed, right? Like maybe you might actually be, be clinically depressed, but just because you feel a certain way one day doesn't mean you are, amen? Does that make sense? Here's the next one, catastrophizing. Whoa, what does this mean? Focusing on the worst possible outcome and seeing it as most likely. <laughs> I'm guilty of this one. Anybody ever done this one? This is like when you have a big test coming up and you're like, if I fail this test, my life is over. <laughs> and it's like, is your life really over? It's like, no, it's not fun to fail tests, but your life is gonna be okay, right? That's catastrophizing. Y'all ready for the next one? Overgeneralizing. Perceiving a global pattern of negatives is based on a single incident. So this kind of sounds like, you know, this sometimes happens to me, so I always fail at things. Like, sometimes I fail, so I'm always going to fail. Does that make sense? This next one is kind of similar, dichotomous thinking. Viewing events or people in all or nothing terms. So what does this mean? It's like going to the extreme. I get rejected by everyone. You ever thought that before? Like, nobody likes me. Well, that's like, no, some people like you. <laughs> nobody, it's not, that's not true. Nobody, not nobody likes you. Negative filtering is the next one. Look at this. Focusing almost exclusively on the negatives and seldom noticing the positives. Come on, we're all guilty of these. Look at, look, look at people. Look, 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 nobody likes me. Nobody, nobody, nobody likes me. This next one is this. Discounting positives. This one's a good one. Claiming that the positive things you do or others do are trivial so that you can maintain a negative judgment. So that's like when somebody compliments you. They're like, dude, I really like that shirt. And you're like, oh, dude, it's old. It's whatever. It's whatever. <laughs> and they're like, no, dude, I think you look really good. You're like, no, nah, I'm like really tired and ugly. It's like, no, no, you look good, dude. You ever done that before? Like somebody's trying to compliment you and you don't take the compliment? Yeah. That's a sign of immature thinking. Wow. I got two more. Y'all hanging in with me? Labeling, this is another one, labeling, assigning global negative traits to yourselves or others. So this is like, this is like saying, I am blank, or I am this, or they are blank. It's labeling people. This last one is this. It's called mind reading, and it's not spooky. It just sounds spooky. Here's what it is. Assuming that you know what other people are thinking without having sufficient evidence of their thoughts. So this is like when you're not feeling like, this is when you're like not feeling like you're, you're top ship shape and you go somewhere and you think everybody is looking at you and judging you. When in the reality, it's like, they're probably not, right? Yeah. So I'm curious, you don't have to raise your hand, 
But did any of those signs of immature thinking resonate with you? Yes, I will raise my hand. I will go ahead and maybe we should all just raise our hand. Yeah, yeah. I've got some good news for you, New Song students. Uh, because you, you are definitely not the only one who's ever felt these signs, ever walked into maturity. In fact, this is a struggle and a battle that we are all in. Can I get an amen? amen. So if you're like me and you realized, yeah, I totally have done some of these, even today, <laughs> then here's something you need to understand. This is some good news for you. Write this down. Immaturity and maturity is not a result of who you are. It's not a result of who you are. Listen to me, both immaturity and maturity, they're not a result of who you are. In other words, you're not a a mature person or an immature person. That's That's a thought process that you choose to walk in. So there's actually a story in the Bible that I think paints a really good picture of this. Um, and it's actually in our reading for today. It was in Matthew 16. Who read Matthew 16 today in your Being Transformed journal? Come on. So this is our, this is our reading for today. And I literally read this this morning, and I was like, that is going in the message tonight. So it's a little chunky. Can y'all hang in with me? It's a funny story. It's a funny story. But in this story, we're going to see where immaturity and maturity comes from. Look at this. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, others say Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And he said to him, no, 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 you're not getting it. I don't care what they say about me. Who do you say that I am? And look at this, Simon Peter, we love Peter. He gets bold. He gets bold, and he gets really sharp, and he says something awesome. He says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And everybody in this moment was like, dang, Peter, where did that come from? You're usually the guy saying dumb stuff, and you just said the right thing. And Jesus, he asks, he's asking the disciples, hey, who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? And we see Peter jump out and say the correct answer. So everybody's like, yay, Peter, you did the right thing. Look at what what happens next. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father in heaven. So (laughs) poor Peter, he finally said the right thing. And Peter's like, you kind of said the right thing, but my father told you so. (laughs) But look at this. Then he goes on to encourage Peter. He says, I tell you, you are Peter. On this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys to the kingdom. Jesus is like really encouraging Peter right now. I will give you the keys to the kingdom, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. So Peter, he answers this question correctly, and Jesus comes in and he starts, he starts encouraging Peter. But before he does that, he says, hey, Peter, I'm so proud that you said the right thing, but that actually didn't come from you. That actually came from a different source. It came from my father. And then after Jesus reminds Peter of who he actually is, hey, Peter, you're my rock. I'm going to build the church on you. 
Look at what literally happens minutes later. Like literally, minutes after he just said the right thing and just got like some of the best encouragement ever. Look at what happens. Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. From that time, Jesus began to show, the, show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. So Jesus starts telling the disciples, I'm going to die soon. I'm going to go to the cross, but it's all part of God's plan. Don't worry. And Peter, he just got encouraged. <laughs> he just said the right thing. So he's feeling a little puffed up. And he's like, Jesus, come on, dude. You, you don't know what you're talking about. That cross stuff, you don't want to say that. That looks bad. Look at what he says. He goes, over to Pe- he goes over to Jesus and say, far be it from you, Lord. This shall never happen to you. He thinks he's saying the right thing because he just said the right thing. But look at what Jesus tells him. But he turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. Yikes. Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me. Like you were just supposed to be my rock, and now you're a hindrance to me. Look at this. This is super key, this next thing that Jesus said. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of God. Of man. Okay, this story, y'all, this story is funny. The Bible is funny. This story cracks me up. Peter literally just got some of the best encouragement from the Son of God. And he gets real, he gets real excited about that. He gets a little proud. And then five seconds later, he gets some of the worst rebuke from Jesus. All in a matter of verses. But listen to me, if we're real, if we're willing to slow down and really examine what we're reading, look at this. Both of, we were, we were, we're really shown where the source of both maturity and immaturity come from. Are you ready for this? Look at this. Right before Peter is encouraged, Jesus tells Peter where that maturity came from. He said, hey, I'm so proud of you, but that didn't actually come from you. That came from my father. And then look at this. Then in the rebuke, Jesus tells Peter that the reason that he's a hindrance, the reason that he stepped out of maturity, the reason that he's he's walking in immaturity now is because of this. You're not setting your mind on the things of God. So listen to me. Look, Jesus didn't have a problem with Peter as a person. Jesus had a a problem with how Peter was choosing to think. So listen to me. Jesus doesn't have a problem with immature people or mature people, he's got a problem with how we choose to think. Look at this. This would not be a Pastor Jackson message if I didn't throw in a David Guzik quote. So I've got one for you. I've got one for you, but I've limited myself to one per message, okay? One per message. But I couldn't resist. This one is so good. Look at this. Jesus exposed how Peter came into this satanic way of thinking, some harsh language. He didn't make a deliberate choice to reject God and embrace Satan. He simp- <laughs> Sorry. Is that funny, the way I said it? No, Satan. No, no. no, you're good. <laughs> we talk back here. I like it. Look at this. Peter didn't make a deliberate choice to reject God and embrace Satan. He simply let his mind settle on things of man instead of the things of God. And Satan took advantage of it. Peter 
is a perfect example of how a sincere heart coupled with man's thinking can lead to disaster. Man, that's some good stuff. That is some straight fire right there. Okay, write this down if you're taking notes. Immaturity and maturity is not a result of who you are. It's a result of how you think. It's not a result of who you are. It's a result of how you think. So this is actually really good news for you because if you in your life, if you look at your life and you see maturity inside of you, guess what? You don't have to start beating yourself up and being like, oh, I'm just such an immature person and I'm never gonna be like my, my pastors and I'm never gonna be like my leaders. I'm just so immature. Like you don't have to do that because look at this. Look at this. Here's, here's why you are mature or why you aren't mature. It has nothing to do with who you are. It has nothing to do with... Uh, what kind of day you're having. It has nothing to do with the way you were raised or how you were brought up or your parents. It has nothing to do with that. It has to do with how you choose to think. And the Bible actually tells us we can change the way we think, which is good news. Look at this, Romans 12, 2. Do not copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into the person that he called you to be. By how, how do we do that? By changing the way you think. Then you will learn what is God's will for you, which is his good and pleasing and perfect will. So, y'all hanging in with me? Is this good stuff? Okay. Before we get into really what I think is the pinnacle of maturity in Christ, I've got one characteristic for you. Before we get to that, I want to clear up some things about about maturity, some myths, all right? So point number one is this. Write this down. Maturity is not automatic. Maturity is not automatic. And I think one of the reasons why we see so much immaturity in the world, in the church, is because we treat it like the way our physical bodies mature. Like, we don't have to think about growing. and (laughs) That would really stink if you were had to go through puberty, and you had to think about doing it all the time. You know what I mean? Or like you're working out, and you have to like tell each muscle to grow. That would stink, right? God's super good, and he made your body do that automatically, right? But it's different when it comes to your spirit. It's different when it comes to your emotions. That's something that we have to choose to do. It doesn't happen automatically. The problem is we like to, we like to focus on what's on the outside, And we hope that if we change the outside stuff, it'll automatically change the inside stuff. So sometimes like we we think that if we just go to church enough, that'll automatically make me mature one day. Or if I maybe just cut out this relationship in my life or I find that right job that I want or whatever, we, we try to fix the outside and we think that once I get that thing, it'll automatically result in maturity in me. But that's not actually how it works. Where is it found? Look at this. Colossians 1.27, Paul says this. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is this. Christ, not in me, not Christ in the church, Christ in you. Somebody say Christ in you. So he talks about this hope of glory. Anybody want, anybody want some glory? <laughs> what am I talking about when I say glory? That, that word glory is actually the Greek word doxa, and this is what it means. It means this. It means a most glorious condition or exalted state. And in the context of this passage, I think it's safe to say that this glory, this hope that 
we want to, this glory that we want to hope in and walk in one day could be the maturity of Christ. And Paul talks about how the, the way that you achieve this glory, the way that you enter into this glory is Christ in you. Christ in you. Look at this. Not Christ at church. Not Christ in your pastor. Not Christ in theory. Christ in you. Amen. Amen. It has to be Christ in you. And uh, so here's what I'm saying by this. Write this down if you're taking notes. Maturity starts with Jesus in you. What do I mean by this? It starts with salvation. It starts with you really receiving Jesus, allowing him to make his home in your heart. Like, like, like Colossians says, we are in Christ and Christ is in us. Once that happens, you've automatically opened up the door to maturity, but it doesn't come automatically. It doesn't come automatically. It's, it's not about changing outside stuff. It's not about gaining outside knowledge. And remember, in the book of Colossae, or in, in Colossae, we've got this church and these people are in the church and they're saying, yeah, Jesus is great, but you need to follow the commandments and then you'll be mature. Yeah, 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 Jesus is great, but you need more knowledge and then you'll be mature. Yeah. Or you need more spiritual experiences and then you'll be mature. Yeah. And Paul is like, no, 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 no. You don't need any of that. All that stuff's great, but maturity is found in Christ in you. That's where it's found. It's found in Christ in you. Point number two is this. We've got to understand that maturity is a process. Maturity is a process. Please hear me, New Song students, when I say this. Maturity is not about being perfect. That's not what maturity is about. Maturity is about being transformed. And being transformed, I'm just telling you from experience, it takes a process. And there's a cliche statement, but I've got to use it because it's so true. You ever heard like a coach, they're telling you to do something that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. It doesn't feel like it's helping a whole lot. And they're just like, yeah, 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 trust the process. Have you ever heard that? No, it's okay. Don't worry if, if you feel it right now. Just trust the process. Just trust it. Here's what we've got to know about the process of becoming mature in Christ. There's going to be times where it feels like nothing's happening. There's going to be times. But look at this. 2 Corinthians says this, And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed, right, into the same image, talking about being transformed into Jesus, from one degree of glory to another. In other words, you keep getting better. So I was thinking about this today, and I decided to draw a little graph of what maturity, what the process of maturity in Christ actually looks like. And it's pretty simple. It looks like this. This is my hand-drawn graph, but you've got, you know, maturity is up here. We want to grow up in maturity. And this is supposed to be time, but you can't see it because it's cut off, all right? So time. So you start here when you're born again. This is when you're born again. And the Bible says that we grow in the image of Jesus from glory to glory. So no matter how it feels, listen to me. If you're connected to Jesus, you're going up. Like, seriously, if you're connected to Jesus, you're going from glory to glory. You're going up into the image of Jesus. That's the reality. Can I tell you what it actually feels like, though? This is not the reality, but this is what it feels like. <laughs> Can we get an amen? Sometimes, sometimes maturity feels like this. It feels like nothing's happening, and then maybe I'm not being so mature. Oh, but then I got this really awesome moment where I'm like Peter, and I said the right thing. Oh, but then I'm doing the wrong thing again. 
oh, but I'm also going up still. This is actually what maturity feels like. But can we go back to that last slide? Even though that's what it feels like, we've got to trust that God is working in us because here's what's actually happening in your spirit. You're actually being transformed into the image of Jesus. And guess what? Jesus had to be transformed too. Like, like listen to this. Luke 2.52, this will mess with your theology a little bit. And Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. That's talking about Jesus when he was y'all's age, when he was a teenager, when he was a little boy. The Bible says that Jesus didn't need to be transformed into his identity. That's who he was. Like, he couldn't do anything to change that. He was Jesus, but he did need to be transformed in the way he thought. He had to grow up just like you and just like me. Maturity takes a process. We've got to trust the process, even when it doesn't feel like anything is happening. Amen? Amen. Last thing is this. Point number three, maturity is grown through the word. Maturity is grown through the word. Look at this. What was the thing that caused Peter to be immature? What was the thing that caused him to be a hindrance to Jesus? Jesus tells us pretty plain and simple. He says, you're not thinking on the right things. You're not setting your mind on the things of God. You're thinking too much about the things of man. His mind wasn't set on the things of God. Where do we find the things of God? In God's word. And God's word is pretty stinking powerful. In fact, it can do pretty much everything you need if you would just get into it. Because look, 1 Timothy 3.16 says, all scripture. Does that mean like even the Old Testament? Does that mean like even the book of Leviticus? I don't know how, but it is. I'm just kidding. It really is though. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training, righteousness, that the man of God may be competent, may be mature, equipped for every good work. New Song students, I'm telling you, I don't think I've ever met a really mature believer who wasn't also in the word. Like, I don't think I've ever met a believer, a Christian, who was really mature but didn't read the Bible. It doesn't exist because maturity is grown in the word. Now, you might be like me. When I was in high school, man, I really struggled with God's word. Like, I struggled to be consistent. I struggled to understand. I struggled... And because of that, I had a hard time. Maybe you're like me. I felt like, yeah, I've tried that, but I can't do it. Like, it just doesn't make sense to me. And here is my encouragement to you. I just want to beg you, just plead with you, keep trying. Keep trying. Keep wrestling with the text. Don't, don't tap out when the Bible gets confusing. Go back in for another round. I'm telling you, it's worth it because this is how the process of being matured is grown. It's grown by like we, like, we don't automatically have God's thoughts in our mind. We have to find those in the word. And when you're in the word, then you have things to think on, right? And so go back into the word. Look at this. Maturity starts with Jesus in you. It's grown in the word. Here's what it should end up with. Here's what the result is. The end result is humility. And I want to just invite the band to come up as we get ready to close. I almost forgot to invite you guys. That would have been awkward. Um, Check this out, New Song students. There are so many qualities of humility that we could probably talk about that, that that are encompassed in biblical maturity. Like, 
Honestly, if you want to know what biblical maturity looks like, just read the Sermon on the Mount. Because Matthew chapter 5 through 7, Jesus' most famous message ever, the Sermon on the Mount, basically that whole thing is about what Christian maturity looks like. But what's crazy is I think all of Christian maturity can actually be summed up in one quality, and it's humility. And look at this. It's actually the first quality that Jesus mentions in the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 5, verse 1. Look at this. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Okay, what is Jesus saying? Contrary to popular belief, Jesus is not saying that you have to be poor to enter the kingdom of heaven. That's not what Jesus is saying. He's not saying if you're poor, you automatically get to go to heaven. No, no, no. He's saying that those who are poor in spirit, what does that mean? It's the people that know I can't do this without God. It's the people that know, like, without God, I'm nothing. And that results in humility. When you know, I'm actually nothing without God. I'm actually nothing without Jesus. I love what John Piper says about humility. He says this, we should grow up in our thinking so we can grow down in our humility. And y'all did not get that. So I'm going to read that one more time because that is so good. We should grow up in our thinking so we can grow down in our humility. And this is kind of opposite of the world. You know, we live in a world that the smarter you get, the more knowledge you have, the more special you feel, the more important you feel, right? The more we start to think, yeah, I know all this stuff. Like, I don't need that Jesus stuff. Like, I don't need that because I'm awesome and I'm smart and I'm puffed up. But John Piper says, no, 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 we grow up in our thinking so that we can actually grow down in our humility. And I wanna show you this. There's a beautiful example of Paul walking this journey of growing up in humility or growing up in his thinking, but actually down in his humility. You know, Paul, the guy who wrote Colossians, the super apostle Paul, that dude, the guy who was a Christian for 30 years, wrote over a third of the New Testament. That's the Paul we're talking about, okay? So he was a Christian for 30 years, 10 years before he dies. So up until this point, he's been following Jesus for 20 years now, writing books of the Bible, turning the world upside down. Look at what he says 10 years before he dies. This is in 1 Corinthians 13, 11. He says, talking about himself, for I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be even called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. So that was 10 years before he died. Okay, fast forward seven more years. Do you think Paul's matured in seven years? Definitely. Look at what he says seven years later. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Okay, check this out. Two more years later, this is a year before he dies. This is one year before Paul dies. Look at what he writes. He is a trustworthy, here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. This is one year before Paul dies, of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that 
in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might be displayed, his immense patience as an example for all those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. What do we see in Paul? We see the further up he goes in his walk with Jesus, the further down he goes in humility. Are you seeing this? First, he says, I'm the least of the apostles. Then he says, I don't even need to be alone with the saints. And then he goes as far as to say, I am the worst of all sinners. The year before he dies, New Song students, this is what I want us to see. The farther you go down in humility, the higher God will actually lift you up in maturity. The farther you are willing to go down in humility and need God in your life, the higher God will take you in your maturity. And this is what Paul's whole purpose of writing to the Colossian church is, hey, I don't want you to end the day and not be found mature in Christ. And this is my prayer for you, New Song students, that man, when people see us, when they see the, the seventh graders at New Song students, when they see the freshmen at New Song students, when they see the seniors at New Song students, that they say things like this, there's something different about them. There's something different about them. I don't know what it is, but when I'm around them, they're not like other students. This is our purpose, that we would all be found mature in Christ. I wanna invite everybody to bow your heads and close your eyes.